What's going on, guys? Happy Thursday. It's just after 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'll go live in a second. I mean, we're live now, but uh, we'll get to it in a second. I just reshared the link, grabbed myself something to drink, and uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are doing well. I haven't hopped on since last week. I've had kind of a tumultuous week uh, with regard to scheduling. Uh, I couldn't live stream this morning. My wife had another sonogram, so things are looking good, though. Have to be there with her for that, um, or want to be, not even have to be, want to be. So the baby right now is five and a quarter centimeters, so that's like the size of a plum, according to a, a friend who has shared uh, that image with me. So anyway, um, all right, looks like we have a handful of people joining in. So yeah, apologies for not uh, getting on earlier this week. Well, we got a few things to talk about now, right? Because because amount of time has passed. Markets have uh, look like they've caught a little bit of a bid. Looks like we have <clears throat> some decent support that has uh, formed over the last couple of days. But I wouldn't get too excited. I think that the market is getting uh, excited at what looks to be, or what seems to be, a noticeable shift um, in the language coming from the Fed coming from current and, and ex-Fed members. All right, so let's get started. Okay, so uh, thank you guys for all joining in. Um, I don't think I have to introduce myself, do I? This is like the uh, sixth month of Collins, but um, I am Kent Rain Clark on Twitter, newly verified. So finally verified. You get a lot of flack from some people for being verified on crypto Twitter. I, I think it's a, just a net positive. Um, at this point, I mean, I'm a very large account. There are a significant amount of fake Karen Clark uh, versions out there. And the trouble is when you have a large account and people create these fake accounts, it's for the purpose of fraud. So it's usually to scam people. Um, and I, you know, I have constantly been messaged in the past. Hey, you know, is this you that I'm talking to on Telegram? No, no, no. You know, I'm not managing your money. I'm not offering any kind of service where, you know, you give me any capital and I trade it on your behalf. And that's always what it is, right? That's a, the uh, the pretense to the interaction. So finally, like a week ago or two weeks ago, maybe, um, a guy who's been following me for a long time. He's uh, an older gentleman, really, really nice guy. I think he listens in from time to time. Um, he had messaged me on on uh, Twitter and he said, hey, am I dealing with you on Telegram right now? And I said, no, you know, you're never dealing with me on Telegram. I give my Telegram out to some people, but if it's not the exact handle and it's some other kind of variation of it, it isn't me. Um, so he had said, oh, you know, shucks, like I, I think I was just scammed. And he actually gave this person money um, and he was kind enough and just a little backstory. He, the, the gentleman who gave the scammer money actually knows where I'm from. Uh, is originally from, I think, New York. And so what he did was he was going out of his way, actually, because he had followed me on Twitter for a long time and seen that I like to barbecue in the summer. And he was going out of his way to to get me a, I believe, a gift certificate or a gift card to a local butcher to get myself, you know, and my wife um, a couple steaks, you know, to enjoy in the barbecue. And I thought that was a tremendous gesture. I ended up, you know, sending him back the money that I think he lost to the scammer. But that was just kind of like the punishment. It's like, all right, the verification badge is a way to immediately identify that you are dealing with the, the real Ryan, right? The real Kenner and Clark. Okay, anyway, before we get started, remember none of this is financial advice. Uh, I'm gonna take a bunch of callers. This one will not have the same uh, setup as the last Friday where we had a bunch of people on at the same time. I'll take you guys uh, one by one. Again, we're going to be introducing a new format one day a week where I interview people. So if you would like to be one of those people that comes on and we talk about your life and, and your story and it doesn't have to be glamorous. I hope that they're not glamorous, honestly, so that people can learn that uh, there's a lot of people in the same boat as them. So when it comes to losses and, and bad market experiences, that's what I want to talk about. And I don't want to talk to people that are well known. Um, so I'm not marginalizing anybody by saying, ah, I want to talk to people that no one knows, but I want to, I don't want to talk to people like a podcast format where, you know, every crypto podcast, it's like the same people that go podcast to podcast. You have the same story over and over again. Um, I'd rather get in touch with the people that are unknown, you know, are, um, first time traders, 
lost a lot, gained a lot, who knows? But I think it would make for some interesting stories. Um, all right, so real quick, just thoughts on the market. Um, you have some decent bounces across the board. I think there's, it's kind of obvious right now that there's a lot of things that are probably going to continue to move down and you'll have some idiosyncratic strength moving forward. Again, we're in a bear market. I think it's going to be, if you're, if you're playing anything right now, unless it's a rising tide moment with all beta more or less rising across the board, I think you will have periods of that. Um, I think it's going to be very, uh, it'll be a picker's market. So you have strength in Solana, you have strength in AVAX. Um, I heard a little bit of news on Solana. I'm not sure if it's been verified yet about potential news. Um, again, I was busy this morning, so I've been long for that, but I didn't really actually verify that. Um, you have some strength in pairs here and there, but it's kind of scattered. Equities bouncing. Noticeably, equities are bouncing and we're moving up. And during that time, there's brief periods of decorrelation, but it's not the good kind. It's the kind where equities are actually moving up. Um, and I'm talking about low time frame price action. Equities continue to move up and BTC is kind of lagging behind or even in some cases drifting off. Like I shared yesterday when BTC was drifting down and equities were doing the exact opposite. Um, so that's not the kind of decorrelation we want, but if anything, we just want decorrelation to begin with. The decorrelation that you know indicates that maybe some of the larger players that are playing both markets, uh, maybe they've already done you know the bulk of their uh, they're selling and they're no longer, you know, applying the same book to equities as they're applying to crypto. And, and maybe their presence is, is maybe not as prominent anymore. Um, so it, it looks kind of good. And I, I don't want to jinx it, but we are, you know, we're between a rock and a hard place when it comes to like the 200 day or below the 200 weekly, excuse me. We're still holding the prior all time high. So we had this kind of under over structure, you know, a couple of days ago, I said, you know, what's going to happen is we're probably going to break 20,000. People are going to panic. Then we're going to get a short squeeze. People are going to call the bottom. And then I said something like along the lines of, you know, the bottom is in by the second quarter of 2023. I could honestly see the bottom tick being in by the last quarter of this year. So the lowest print and then us more or less being moving into our next bullish trend by mid 2023. And the idea would be and it's the same kind of, honestly, the same kind of transition that I would have expected if we didn't even have the March 2020 crash, where we had this long period where we came out of 2019's bottom, we had a strong trend up, and then we we're moving sideways for a long period of time, you know, creating a very large range between, you know, 14,000 and 6,500. Then you had that anomaly, right, March 2020, uh, that led to the next major leg up and began our much longer bull market. But I think we're looking at something like that, where we... We put in a significant low, we range significantly between, and then we're looking at, again, sort of really clearly beginning to mark, march up um, by mid-2023. And again, this is just, it's a long-term, uh, pretty confident prediction um, because it's built on the idea that one, the Fed's not gonna continue with this course of action. Uh, you're beginning to see sort of cracks in that, right? You're beginning to see a shift in the language you know, Senator Warren grilling Powell yesterday, um, Congressman grilling Powell about the 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 actual effect of, of raising interest rates and how it's not necessarily something that's going to combat inflation. Um, so that's something that's I think it's a good sign for the bulls. Mm. Excuse me, taking sips. Um, so that's good, right? We're going to midterms, and you're starting to see that recession is more and more pressed in the press and uh, in, in the media. So I had mentioned a while back. You know, we, we need to get over peak inflation fears and then peak recession fears. Uh, and now that, you know, the conversation that was kind of, I brought this up like a month or two ago, that the, the Fed would be looking at basically hiking us into a, into a recession. Now that's like the dominant narrative, right? The Fed is talking about how, or Powell even said, it's, it's possible that they could hike us into a, into a recession. So <clears throat> anyone who wants votes is going to be looking to avoid this kind of situation. Um, so there's basically some light at the end of the tunnel, right? We start seeing oil come down, so that's good. We need to see oil continue to come down. Two-year yields back below 3% today. Um, I'm not really sure where they left off. Are they still? So they're, yeah, at 295. The 10 years come down. So these are, these are good signs, um, at least when it comes to, to risk. And again, this is not like, hey, the bottom is in and it's done. This is, all right, this is a beginning to look like some kind of stronger development. Um, 
either way from from this move I, I would be much more confident if we regained the 200 right but we're holding the prior all-time high i think markets are they're due for a bounce but it hasn't worked in the last you know we've gotten on a record period of, of red weeks um so that argument of oversold hasn't really worked out too well we're in a position right now where there's no real derivative activity so it's not like you have like a may june july situation of last year where you had like this tinderbox built up um, of, of fuel uh, in open interest and, and hedging and selling at the lows uh, in derivative markets, right? Talking about mostly just uh, per, perps, right? So futures. Um, so we don't really have that yet. There's been a significant amount of cash selling, UST redemption, USDT redemption. So this is like, this is real fear, right? These are people actually exiting the market. What we need for rally is we need sideline capital to come back into the market. And I've seen the same argument over and over again in certain chats, you know, oh, fund managers right now, you know, they've been, uh, they've been flat or they've been, you know, in 50% cash, um, you know, they're just waiting to redeploy, waiting for other people to have confidence first to deploy, to follow them, for momentum to be created. You know, it gets kind of tiring after you continue to hear that and you continue to move down, but that is really what we're waiting for. We're waiting for cash to redeploy, you know, I. I think we're still in a period of uncertainty. We have another FOMC coming up. Um, so I think you still want to wait for like a material change, right? Not just like a sudden shift in the narrative. I think the shift in the narrative by the Fed is like, they're trying to balance a couple things. They're trying to balance like not smashing the markets too much, but also combating inflation with, with raising interest rates, which, you know, at the end of the day, we know is not going to really have a significant effect at the rate that they're doing it. It's not like he's getting blocker on us, but um, some interesting developments Nevertheless, so, you know, July 4th is, you know, this is people, a lot of people are talking about don't buy before July 4th, you know, don't, don't buy, you know, because markets are going to sell off. There's something to be said about the 4th of July actually having a, you know, being a pretty significant event in terms of inflation, which is the number one, well, was the number one priority now, again, the narrative is shifting more towards recession. Um, so it's like, which is the evil that you want to deal with? Do you want to deal with the, the, you know, inflation or do you want to deal with the recession? Um, so there's something to be said for July 4th in the United States having a significant impact on consumption. Like when it comes to people going out and spending money, uh, there's only a handful of times of the year where a handful of times during the year where this actually is like, you know, significant, obviously during the holidays. And then the 4th of July is one of them where people are going out buying stuff for barbecues. You know, I'm just thinking about what my wife is doing. Like we're having our first big party this year at our house. We're going to have, I think, like 80 people come over, got a bounce house, got, you know, for the kids, uh, you know, we have caterers coming. Um, so it's it's a consumption holiday. So that's something that uh, I don't know if it'll like tip the needle materially, but, you know, we came off last CPI and it wasn't necessarily looking good. Um, but at, at least the one thing that markets are doing right now is telling us that they do have uh, a, a little bit of a bid, right? So equities and BTC, um, but again, it's kind of expected in the region that we are, the where, where we're at. So BTC, as long as it holds the prior all-time high, I mean, it's, it's, a un, it's an insignificant level from a market structure standpoint, but we got to take what we can get, right? So let me open it up right now. Uh, I see Christopher on here. So we got a lot of stuff we could talk about, but I'll let you on, Let's see what you got. What's up, buddy? All good. Hope you're good also. Having a likewise. nice weekend. Good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. So I had a question. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, <clears throat> news that the ECB are developing their digital currency and about to deploy. I don't know if it was billions or trillions. I don't remember the exact number. But do you think that this might bring some stability to the market? And how do you think that this traditional institutions would integrate with the newer crypto market? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's inevitable at this point, like what was only rumor and, you know, possibly discussed a year ago about central banks and digital and there's, you know, central bank digital currencies is now clearly like it, it's uh, it's in we're in the process of those coming to fruition. Um, I think you just expect that those are going to be a real thing, at least in a year from now. Um, and will be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty pervasive. I, I don't know what it means for the stability of the market. I think it means that it eliminates some of the current, um, 
available options right now. There might be some, you know, more regulatory action coming uh, to eliminate some of that competition. Uh, but I don't really, you know, ECB, what takes place over there is not really my, uh, my forte. It's not really my area of competence, as I like to say. Um, listen, it's, it's an inevitable, it's, it's an inevitable future that we're going towards, uh, where we're more intertwined with legacy, where there'll be more regulation. Um, and there's really nothing that we could do about that. What hopefully <clears throat> is the case is that it doesn't stifle innovation in this market. It's not too limiting. Um, but you can imagine like that there, there's a, you know, there, there's some pretty dystopian things when it comes to central bank digital currencies that, that you can, you know, you can imagine with just a little bit of effort. Um, one of them is like, you know, applying tax to your money right away and, and uh, you know, devaluing your currency and, and being able to do things like this with just like the stroke of a, a keystroke, um, taking away your ability to, to buy certain things. You know, let's say, for example, we have you know central bank digital currencies and we're in another inflationary period then it's not a matter of them anymore trying to maybe raise rates to stifle um consumption but it's hey we're just gonna we're gonna limit your currencies now so that you can only buy you know necessary goods you're no longer allowed to buy clothing right or you're no longer allowed to buy um luxury items you know so and that's just kind of the imagination running wild but i think it's a reality um, but I don't know what it necessarily means for this market specifically, other than I, I think it's inevitable. I think there, there's going to be more regulatory action coming towards this market that's going to, you know, make it tough for competitors. It's going to be very tough to compete with a central bank digital currency that has, you know, the world's governments and powers behind it. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting question either way. Yeah, because I suppose that if the ECB does it, then uh, I'm sure that uh, China will do it eventually and the Fed will follow suit and the rest of the world will maybe eventually move to only digital currency, since most of it is electronic anyway. But yeah, and also like it seems like there's, like you said, there's so much fear in the market and yes, that hopefully maybe we get some kind of relief bound soon because yeah sure it's okay shorting but the market seems <laughs> a bit oversold but yeah i don't know this market sentiment seems kind of shit at the moment yeah and, but, and you know the one thing is it's like this market sentiment is honestly the most bottoming type of market sentiment you could ask for from like every single angle um you know, we've, we've, it's, it's almost like at this point to, to list the categories and boxes that we've checked is, is it's pointless because we've checked every single box that you would ask for in a bottom. Now, all we need to do is see price stay stable. And then, you know, it's obviously much clearer when price has found stability. <clears throat> um, but we literally have every kind of box you could ask, you could ask to be checked for some kind of bottom to develop at least a local bottom. Uh, we have, you know, Markets just not only being technically oversold, we have funds blowing up. We have, you know, every single press release and media release about crypto is talking about much lower prices and we're still hanging out where we are. Um, the list really just goes on. So I, I think that I think we're honestly looking at some kind of local bottom. I can't honestly see us moving down much in the near future. So I, I do think that uh, between here and like 18K, probably, you know, we probably have a little bit of development ahead of us before any kind of major move. Maybe not, but still, like, I wouldn't be shocked if we continue to test that 17, 9, 18 region multiple times before putting in a stronger leg up. But I, I do share the same feeling that we're kind of due for it. And there's more signs now than ever that we get asked for that, it, that it's possibly uh, setting up. Yeah, because it seemed like, sure, we, we've known about the Fed and their <clears throat> QT, for some time now so the market should have had plenty of time to price that in as it should have with plenty of other things i mean even 75 basis points was expected the last fomc not the one that we just had but the one before that we kind of expected 75 but we only got 50. so it right. seems like the market should have had plenty of time to price all of these things and then you see uh, price targets for like 3000 on spx which is kind of a big drop you know, it's like people talking about the Great Recession and it's like, well, this isn't the 1920s anymore. The economy has changed and the world has changed. 
So it wouldn't seem logical to have that kind of a drop in this kind of environment. And sure, maybe housing prices, the loan to value is a lot higher than it's been before, but there's a bigger money supply. But then you hear a counter argument to then to that, and this is like a lot of factions going back and forth. And the one thing that the market dislikes the most is uncertainty, right? Right. So I think maybe that's also why we're just hanging out at these prices and just not bouncing and yeah, just a lot of uncertainty. But yeah, I don't know. No real question. Just that hope that we get a bit of a bounce soon. Because sure, it's nice to short. You just wait for the bounce. You short a bit. But it gets tiresome just with all these people saying, oh, we go to zero. It's this and that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, but what the fuck? I, I don't think it's going to. But it gets at you after a while you know when you see all these things everywhere and it's all this negative sentiment after negative sentiment is like so tiresome it it is and last week it honestly i mean or was a week and a half ago now maybe um it's so easy to lose track of time in this market but it honestly the sentiment was insane like the amount of fear in this market i mean even i was like wait a second should i be worried about all these exchanges right i mean the, the conversation was the major exchanges were going to go down, you know, things were still going to break. We still had bodies that were going to float to the surface. It was just, I've, I haven't seen fear like that in the market in a really long time. And I think that's honestly a really good sign. But yeah, it gets really tiring. But, you know, you just have to like, I think the one thing you just have to understand, that's why journaling during these times is really important, is that all we're doing right now is the exact opposite of the other emotion that happens at highs, right? You know, it's it's peak euphoria. It gets tiring in and of itself sometimes when like the market is like people market and people are shitting gold. But at the same time, like you're making money too. It's easy to make money. So it's like, it's easier to deal with it, but still it's like, all right, like this market's getting a little crazy, but that's the one side of that emotional spectrum. Now we're just doing the opposite direction. And I think it's important to know that like none of these things ever last, you know, they, they never continue forever. All we're, all we can really expect is that we'll always have a cycle of these extremes. So there'll be another period where, you know, again, we'll be thinking that we are the smartest people in the world and everyone's making money and, and that this time is different. And then we'll go through another major crash and this will never change. Like assuming that it'll change is the stupid thing, but you could just expect that this is, as long as you're in markets, this is the thing that they try to write and teach you about in books, like the smartest investors and traders. They try to teach you as much as possible about these experiences, hoping that you can learn from them. You know, that's where buy the blood came from, because it's very difficult to keep your head during these times at both ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, it, it gets tiring. I, the bear, the bear trend is worse because everyone is just so negative and the space is much better when people are positive. But that's like that's in general. That's life. You know, that's life in general. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just because I've been short from like the top almost. Sure, I haven't made a huge amount of money, but at least I haven't lost it all like some people seem to have done. So I've been rather fortunate to have a more rational mindset. But after a while, it, it just gets tiresome. And, but yeah, just learn from I've been more thorough in keeping journals. So hopefully that will help in the next cycle. And I don't want to take up too much time, but thank you very much. And yeah. Hope you have a nice day. Likewise, Christopher. Always nice to talk to you. All right, Hans. What's going on, Hans? Yo, Ryan, can you hear me? Hey, what's going on? I can hear you. All right, cool, man. Um, congrats on the um the baby and everything. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to ask you actually something completely different because you posted a tweet, I guess, last week where you were, uh, you gave a quote. I don't know if it's your own quote or you're qu quoting somebody else about intuition and you were talking about pattern recognition and you ended, ended the quote by saying, those who have never faced a negative outcome have a critical gap in the body of experience that intuition is based on. And I wonder if you could take a moment to kind of um, flesh that out a bit, because I, I, I've been following your work for months now, and you often talk about the fact that after, like, for example, you yourself personally, you've built up this body of experience, 
you're able to kind of swing it more and and all that sort of stuff so so you've talked about it briefly before but i wonder if you could go into a little bit more depth about that yeah so i i think the quote was <clears throat> and i'm looking at it right now so i'm not thinking i'm reading <laughs> if i had this kind of memory and could recite it perfectly that'd be incredible uh, so what we think of as intuition is at its heart, highly developed pattern recognition. Those who have never faced a negative outcome have a critical gap in the body of experience that intuition is based on. Um, so one of the things that I've always said in the past that kind of like gets me in, and I've heard some other people repeat as well is when people talk about like gut feeling and they have a gut feeling about something. And yeah, there, there actually is something to be said, at least physiological from your gut um, having a significant impact on your decisions. If you just think about how, your hunger over time has impacted your decisions as we've evolved over time, right? So like from uh, earlier days. Um, and I think your gut is actually, there's more, I think that your gut is home to the second largest amount of neuron bundles uh, aside from your brain. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that that's the case. But gut feeling, like the one thing that I, I always hate about that people saying gut feeling is they make it sound like it's this kind of like ephemeral like a uh, hokey magical thing that isn't based on anything physical <clears throat> when really it's just you you have the ability to have more gut feeling and you have the ability to say that you have an intuition for things when you've experienced more processes and resulting outcomes and you build some kind of body knowledge that you can act on and really it's just it's a glorified way of saying you have the data right you have the experience meaning you have the data that you can lean on um, and i think that the last part of that quote saying that you haven't faced a negative outcome, leaving that critical gap in the in body experience is that when you have those, I think the critical outcome, the negative outcome rather, it, it leaves you with something that's visceral, right? It's, it's the concept of learning by burning your hands on the hot stove. So without actually feeling pain from the market, without actually feeling loss, um, it's really difficult to to apply what you might read in a textbook about how to go about trading a market or investing or applying yourself without understanding what it's actually felt like based on past experiences, past losses, and even past gains and be able to, to take that and extrapolate from it with anything that is is that you can meaningfully act upon. So it's kind of like you are, you're more war ready, you're more, um, you're a more seasoned person by going through those experiences that you can't really just convey through communication alone unless someone has actually gone through them as well. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the body of experience that allows you to, you know, the body of experience of experiencing multiple situations and maybe we're talking about market cycles or different markets um, is what allows you to say that you have quote unquote intuition when really it's just you have experience, you have memory that you could act on and, and is, you know, readily available to help you in your decision making process. Um, so I don't, you know, I think quotes end up sounding a little bit more glossy and, and better than what they actually are are uh, communicating. But that's really what I think it comes down to. Um, I, I know a couple of people that really like to say that they have that their strongest sense is intuition. And I just I find it kind of like silly sometimes to hear that because it's like, no, you you you, you could maybe intuitively understand things. But really what you're saying is that based on previous knowledge, maybe in even another field, you have kind of a working understanding of how things work, maybe better than someone else. So you could apply that to maybe a new area, but you're still leaning on something that you've learned in the past and it doesn't just come from nowhere. Um, so I think, again, it's kind of just like a, it's like a euphemism or like a really special way of saying that you have experience and, uh, and memory, honestly. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how, how much of that do you actually use in your own um, style of trading because the way that I understand it is that you're pretty much a sort of discretionary uh, trader on your own even though you, you you've built your own system and everything but it's not systemized as you know like hard systems would be so do you do you lean on this decade yeah, plus so ex experience that you have quite a lot or I mean I, I have a lot of mechanical mechanical trading situations that are they're they're pretty well defined in terms of inputs where I don't have to like lean on any kind of intuition for them. But there are definitely cases where it feels like um, I am relying more on nuance. Um, <clears throat> and maybe I can't even, maybe it comes down to like, 
there, there are certain times when I just, I do have like a feel, but I know that the feel is not from nowhere. It's me not being able to really uh, articulate why, but I, I recognize it enough that my brain says, okay, we recognize this situation. We've been in it before. And yeah, there are definitely times when I, when I lean on uh, what it, I guess would be quote unquote intuition in certain setups, but they're also, it's never alone. It's, it's usually that it's kind of just, you know, strengthening and corroborating any evidence that I already have that's mechanical and technical. Uh, and if anything, maybe sometimes it is, it's the detail or the addition that allows me to, to risk on a little bit more. Um, but it's always like, no matter what, I think it's probably like a coin flip between the amount of times I act on what I think I've seen before and what I don't. And when you act on it, when you've seen it before and then it works out in your favor, you're like, oh, it's, it's very easily like ex post facto hindsight. Um, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that worked because I had the intuition that time rather than like, well, all the other times I thought I had intuition, actually, it, it didn't. There's plenty of other times where I thought I had intuition and I, you know, maybe overreached a little bit um, and it didn't work out in my favor. And I think it's better, honestly, to have, you know, you're going to build uh you know an arsenal of experiences and things you can lean on over time by being in markets but i think primarily it's better to have actual concrete things that you could define by observing data and by observing patterns by observing you know whether or not it's order flow or whether or not it's you know certain systems that are defined trend defined systems it's still always better to have something you could actually concretely lean on and say okay i'm taking this setup not because I necessarily feel like it's a great setup, but because, you know, the nine times out of 10 from probably well, not even, you know, could any kind of strength and probability in its favor. I've seen that every time that this happens, you know, uh, eight times out of 10, it works out favorably. So that's as good as it gets when it comes to data. So I'm going to lean on this versus me saying like, oh, I kind of feel like it's a good setup. I think it, it, I think it's always better to lean on actual hard data. And yeah, sometimes you feel like things are better. I, I feel when it comes to things that are harder to find. So like I was just talking to Christopher and saying, hey, this really, this is feels like the way, what you would expect from a bottom, right? It's, it's, I'm sure you could like quantify certain details and say, and, and get all these things on a scale and say, okay, in terms of fear, in terms of positioning, in terms of, um, you could quantify certain sentiment things to get more of a concrete number to lean on, but there is more nuance when it comes to uh, certain things like this within context where, you know, people are panicking. Um, and I think that that is more of an intuitive thing. Like, all right, I've seen this before. I don't really have concrete evidence of what exactly, to what extent, but I just, I, it's something I feel. But again, it's, there's few times that I really lean on that when I more, more or less lean on data. 90% of the time. I guess also one benefit of that decade plus of experience base that you have is that when you've seen enough of these sort of larger time frame or higher time frame capitulations, you also panic yourself less and less each time you see it because you're like, oh, I've seen this movie like three times already. So I kind of know how it happens, how far we could go and what kind of FUD you, you expect to see in the media. So it also makes it easier to ride out the storm in a way. I think that's probably, and that's great that you mentioned that, because that's probably the number one benefit, honestly. It's the ability to keep your head when everyone around you is, you know, as the, what was it, the Rudyard Kipling poem, if, you know, if you can keep your head when all around you're losing it, <clears throat> I think that that's probably the, one of the number one benefits of experience and, and having that quote unquote intuition is that there are times when, you know, for a good reason, it, it feels like you should pack pack up and call it quits and the market feels like it's falling apart. But again, like you said, you, you know, I've seen this tape play plenty of times before and it does, it, it is something that, you know, if you've, if you've never been on like a roller coaster before, it's a big difference than if you've been on one like 20 times. Um, and that's all this is, right? It's, it's also, you know, allows you to not even just the, the periods like this where it's, filled with FUD and, and fear, but during times of FOMO, it's what's allowed me to, to not lose my head too by overcommitting and getting pulled in with the crowd. It's like I've said, I've said it many times, it's honestly been something that's limited my returns um, mm -hmm. because I can never, 
be that person that like just kind of lets it ride till what like no target i don't get it it doesn't work for my brain that way because i need to make sure that i consistently treat things like a trade and have an idea for an exit and don't just kind of you know let it rip on the assumption it's going to continue to go up so i i end up limiting my returns in a way because again i've, I've seen this tape play out before like markets are going to pull back at some point but then when i have that thought they could continue to run for a while but at the end of the day, like I said, I think that that has protected me more than anything. So I might have limited my returns, but I also ended up missing out, not missing out. I ended up being safe during most of this entire drawdown because I barely had any exposure. Um, so I'd like to actually, you know, I'd say that I'm, I'm thankful for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting, man. Um, I have another one if you have time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so this is the first cycle that I've been following personally, like almost on a daily basis. So I, I wasn't around there for the previous one when it collapsed into, into the bear market low in the end of 2018. So I want to ask you, because you also have a background in, in legacy, like what was the context back then? And I'm specifically thinking about what was the Fed doing back at the time? Was it an easy money uh, a dovish kind of environment because I'm looking at charts of altcoins that existed back in the day, for example, Ethereum or Ripple. And a lot of these ones, they ended up making a significantly lower low in the early part of 2020, as opposed to Bitcoin making the significant cycle, you call it, you know, back in late 2018. So I'm just thinking. Uh, how was how was the macro context back then? Because the macro seems to be such a huge, hugely important high time frame driver at the moment. In the sense that, for example, if we're looking for the Bitcoin bottom, like you were saying, maybe towards the end of the year, and maybe for a higher time bullish trend to pick up sometime in 2023. Uh, at what point for yourself? Would you be, for example, looking to pick up like high time frame swing positions in the spot for alts, if that makes sense? I mean, so for alts, it's well, one context in 2018 was 2017, 2018 was uh, a bit different, especially at the end of 2017. I mean, legacy continued to run up during that period where Bitcoin corrected and legacy continued to run up the S&P specifically. Uh, into September 2018, <clears throat> but you had a period where um, the market uh, threw a little bit of a tantrum and Powell course corrected, and this was, I think, in December 2008. This was in, uh, I believe this was in, this was either in January 2018 or December 2017. Um, so it was, it was favorable conditions. It wasn't the same sort of, we definitely haven't seen anything like we saw in March, 2020 and on with the amount of liquidity that was injected into the system and injected right into people's bank accounts. Um, but overall liquidity and risk did well. I, I don't know, like, I can't really speak to XRP um, and, and its performance after. Like XRP has always kind of been a meme uh, to me. Uh, and a lot of like the smarter participants in this market, or at least the, the people that have done well and, and have consistently been on the right side of the market. XRP has never been really something that anyone in the market takes seriously. Um, but context, what, yeah, the, the run up, the first, the last cycle, rather, it was a completely different context. Um, <clears throat> again, at, the S&P ended up catching up to BTC, or I don't want to say caught up. But it, it peaked after and then had a major correction, um, but has been a little bit more, a little bit more uh, uh, one directional in terms of the trend compared to BTC in that time period of like 2018 to 2020, where BTC was stuck in a range. The S&P continued to move up um, up until 2020. So th this is definitely like this is a completely different time. This the last two years has been like a a one-off kind of event in markets. I think you could extend that going back much further than I could remember. Like we've never really had any kind of uh, one, not for nothing. Uh, crypto was not really on many people's radar traditionally, at least in legacy markets back 
you know, cycle ago. Um, it wasn't really taken that seriously. It was, you know, still very much like a tulip bubble and, and maybe a sign of froth because overall markets are doing well. And it was just like the furthest out the risk curve. We never had this level of participation from legacy participants crossing over. This is so this is difficult. This is different, different in, in many different ways. Um, what was the other thing you said with XRP though? There was another pair that you mentioned that continued to put in, uh, was it a lower low after the, the highs? What was that other pair? I don't, uh, I mentioned Ethereum, but I don't think Ethereum actually undercut the, its own low. It kind of made like a, this really higher time frame double bottom esque sort yeah. of pattern. Yeah, Ethereum bottomed in, uh, was at the end of, so the end of 2018, and you had like this very large range from 2019 to 2020. Yeah, yeah. But again, I don't think like when it comes to, <clears throat> Um, XRP's performance compared to BTC, I think it's a, like maybe not a good comparison to to use like in, in XRP's performance relative to BTC. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I guess the point that I was kind of getting at is now, okay, fine. So now we have the new coins like uh, Solana and AVAX and all of these these other tokens that people are talking about. But um, w would you be looking at, for example, or or have you have you even given a thought to the fact that okay, if, if Bitcoin kind of sets its own, um, like oh, I remember bottom, what you said. Macro yeah, bottom. I'm sorry, I forgot yeah. to answer that. Um, as far as all, it's like I'm pretty. I mean, I'm pretty cynical or skeptical uh, on almost. There's like 15,000 alts at this point. I know there's only like maybe 100 that really matter. But even in those, I mean, I'm I'm very doubtful that that you know, they'll still be around. That's the thing about crypto. It's like there's alts that are still trading, that they're dead, dead projects, vapor, but they still have a bid and an ask and you can continue to see trends within them, but there's really nothing meaningful behind them. So it's not like you'll see them disappear. Unfortunately, I wish they could delist these things and capital would like accrue to, to more, you know, you know, better projects or at least find value. I think that next cycle, uh, it's dominated by entirely new pairs honestly like each cycle has its thing you know this was yield farming and and we had nfts uh layer twos but i i honestly i would be i would be surprised if if maybe but for 20 pairs did well from this cycle and did well next cycle um so i'm expecting honestly most things to kind of die off uh and there'll have to be a, a new narrative that that drives prices upward um and the things that are, you know, the things that I'm kind of confident in are honestly Solana, um, AVAX, uh, Cracks, so FXF, FXS, um, what else? Uh, Synapse, the bridge, um, and then Maple Finance. But FXS, Syn, Maple Finance, I no longer have positions in, and I'm kind of like, I'm monitoring them. Um, Solana, I'm swing long in right now, but you know, I don't know that. Listen, I, I'm, I think that there's a good sign that we're putting in a local bottom for BTC, but I don't think it's done. I think that we retest the lows multiple times. Um, and what you would expect from like, after a, a multi-year bull market, what you would expect from a cooling off period for that, especially like in current context. It, it's not really accommodated for risk because of what the Fed has been doing and because of QT. So we can't really expect like a V-shaped reversal. It's just, it's, I don't think it's in the cards. Um, so that being said, you know, let's say Bitcoin rallies and then we end up testing the lows again and we test it multiple times. Maybe we test 15K, 16K, what have you. Uh, whatever alt has moved up in the time being is going to just drop back down as well. I'm starting to see signs of like, and this is kind of dangerous when you see things that are, at least from a fractal standpoint, similar to previous bottoms. Like if you look at the AVAX structure, so for example, AVAX right now, <clears throat> um, and look at AVAX back in last May to last June, it's it's pretty uncanny how similar the structure is. So, you know, that took months to play out. You know, and that was a bottom again, absent uh, situation. You know, that bottom was created Sorry, let me, my dog, one of my, my, um, my, um, wife's, uh, 
my my mother and my father were on vacation. We have their dog, and their dog is not happy to be at our house, so it's just whining in the background. Um, if uh, that structure looks like very similar, I, you know, a structure sideways in strong alts um, that breaks up and out, I'm going to get behind. I don't know if it's like a macro bottom, but I'm going to place higher time frame trades. Sorry, I, was, I just got kind of confused by getting up and tending to the dog, but I'm very skeptical about like building positions and all. It's like, I've seen people the entire way down, really smart people in some chats. And they're like, you know, this is the low I'm buying here. I'm going to put my portfolio into Maple Finance, let's say. And then all it takes is like, these things are so thin that price is not really important right now. Um, you can't like technically trade them because all it takes is like one person to sell and the chart is nuked like 20%. Uh, so I'm very hesitant to get involved into things like that, like alts, until the trend is really kind of established, or at least until we've established enough period of sideways activity and, and, some, and you know, done something to break out or, you know, beginning to show signs that everything is basing out and legacy is moving up. Like I need the trend to kind of be in motion before I really start dabbling in alts. Um, and that's why it's like, I don't know what's, I'm not trying to make bets early on what survives. I want to see what comes out of hell, right? Yeah, exactly. Because also, even if you look at the what Bitcoin ended up doing itself in early 2019, yeah. I mean, it took like a whole quarter to just kind of carve out that bottom before it actually started to make any real headway out of that. So that's a pretty, you know, it can be, I would assume in real time, pretty brutal to be in an altcoin that just whiplashes you back and forth for months on end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if like going back to the beginning of 2019, Bitcoin looked like it was putting in a V bottom there, you know, everyone's confident uh, sentiment was in the gutter like it is right now. And then we snapped down a couple times, like from the highs really violently and, and, you know, had like 10% candles in, in a sh very short period of time. And that, again, if you're in an alt during that period, you know, people are paper handing things after there's a ton of panic in the market because no one wants to be wrong. Like, especially right now, like when fear is really high. So there's, if Bitcoin snaps down, you can imagine that alts are much thinner and much more likely to snap down hard as well. And especially, you know, with alts, like one thing you have to absolutely do is, is look at their emissions. Like anything right now that is really far from, you know, in terms of the spread between market cap and fully diluted valuation, it's going to be really tough for, the, for those to, to put in any kind of significant upside that's not short term. Because you still have people that are, you know, there maybe they want out completely, but they're still up multiples on their initial investment from like a seed standpoint. So you and I might see a chart that might be down 20, 30, even more percent and think like, oh, that's, that looks like a good dip to buy. But you're having people that are maybe getting unlocked that are coming out of investments that are up 100, 200 times and they don't care where they're selling. They're just selling. So it's kind of like it's very indiscriminate and they want to hit any bid they can. So seeing like what has that really gross setup of having a very, you know, high FDV to market cap ratio, that's something that's really useful as well, because you don't want to be in things that have, you know, a ton of emissions or supply coming into the market in the near future. Um, but again, I, I'm not a fundamentals guy in this market. So that's why I like to lean on things that are showing signs of strength, because that's like one of the most, the best signals you can get is price. So whatever comes out and makes it out of the live, like we'll know because it's going to show signs of strength. So I, I don't bet early because I don't know better, right? I don't know enough about these projects to make like high conviction bets. Whereas with BTC, I have the most conviction for very simple reasons, honestly. Yes, it is. So. Very good. Makes sense. All right. Yeah, good. I'm going to. Um, that's it. I'm going to give the space to to the next person in, in the queue. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for your time, Ryan. Of course, Hans. It was good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Cheers. All right, Shiv, I'm going to get you on and then we'll probably uh, wrap it up. We're coming on an hour. What's up, Al? You there? I think you're still muted.
Yeah, oh, so uh, live chat is a great, uh, a great comment. Um, I think uh, intuition implies you just don't know exactly why you know. And yeah, that, that was basically what I was trying to say at the end, like when you can't articulate why you have a feeling, but it's really just, you know, it's in your subconscious or subconscious. Uh, it's in your subconscious and you can't really put words to it, but your brain is, is, is giving you a, some kind of warning shot. Um, and that's what a lot of pattern recognition is, right? Uh, you definitely didn't want to, you know, hundreds of years ago have to explain what your thoughts were when you saw something shaking in the bushes uh, when you were hunting, right? Your brain had to know right away that that was bad. Uh, you didn't have to know like, hey, let me sit here and see if I could identify if it's a mountain lion. Um, so it's better to be able to act very quickly on, on those things that you're, you know, you're, uh, observing. Um, all right, Shiv, you are still muted. I'm going to, uh, wrap it up then guys, unless anyone wants to hop on for another minute. Always a pleasure though. Uh, again, apologies for not getting on earlier this week. Um, so really funny story really quick story. I talked about, I, I posted that I'm going to be posting short videos um, on my new YouTube. So make sure that if you haven't already, you subscribe to that. It's in the header on my uh, Twitter page. But I posted this video about something along the lines of forgetting appointments and, you know, misscheduling. And I literally, in that video, I talked about, oh, you know, I forgot. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, I'm forgetful when it comes to, maybe it was like a home appointment or at the time it was a contractor coming over. So I want you to know that that same day, when I was preparing and I wanted to make sure I didn't forget. Um, my wife like threw a wrench in my brain or something like that and, and interrupted my thought process. And uh, I ended up, she left the house, she had to do something. I don't remember exactly what the details were. I remember how it ended. And I thought, oh, like immediately I forgot everything. And I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the mall because I have to buy something for my dad. Um, and at the mall, I'm walking to my car and I get a phone call. <laughs> it's the guy who I was supposed to remember was showing up and I forgot again. Called me, hey, I'm at your house right now. I'm to, here to do your uh, basement. And uh, <laughs> I blamed it on my wife. I said, wait, my wife's not home? Oh my God, I am so sorry. I'll be home in 10 minutes. I was like 20 minutes away and racing home. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I need like a personal assistant for my schedule. And it's not like it's a tough schedule, but I just, I rely too much on memory. And I like act like I still have the uh, sharp memory that I had maybe a, a decade ago. Maybe I just need to take more vitamins. But anyway, um, Shiv, I hope you figure out the mute button for the next call in, which will be uh, we have a call in tomorrow. So I'll be on again tomorrow at the same time. All right, guys. Thanks for calling. Coming. I meant to say calling, but here I am. fucking my words up now. <laughs> thanks for uh, calling in. It's always a pleasure. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day.